the the democracy, as I remember it, is not the democracy in which we are currently living in. We have just made decisions that if you don't like somebody because they have a different opinion, we will get rid of them. But part of democracy has been debate and discussion and conversation and an, and an agreement to disagree without retribution. And right now, on both sides of the aisle, it appears that we are looking to find a way to get even when somebody disagrees with us. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Let's just get started, Phil. Welcome. Good to see your face and, and your smile, and, and nobody else can see your face and smile but me, but we'll, we'll do that. He is styling and profiling today. Thanks to all of you, our listeners, and thank you to Nationwide for supporting our courageous conversations. The world continues to turn, and we continue to turn with it. Which is a good thing, right? I express my appreciation to our listeners. Thank you for joining, joining us, if it, even if it's for the first time, especially if it's for the first time. Um, so what do you want to talk about today, Peter? Well, let's see. We could talk about the Masters. We could talk about Tennessee. We could, we could talk, talk about the indictment. We could talk about... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. It, it's been an interesting couple of weeks going on in, in the world. The veterinary world continues to be going through its, its metamorphosis and change post-COVID. But I think the real world out there is, is where a lot of the issues are that, that are still headline news. I would like to someday address the status quo on fair play and the dangerous trends that I'm seeing across this country in attacking fair play, which I think is an under-recognized threat in our social justice discussions. And I would use Tennessee and Virginia and Wisconsin and Mississippi as examples of the attack on fair play or the perception of the attack on fair play from different polarizing positions. I'm disturbed by the politics of the day, clearly, that allows people in power to act like Russia and to see even responses to their tactics as a an extension of a response to power grabs. And so, you know, I, I look at the the expulsion of the the three Democratic House members in Tennessee for a rules violation as extreme. It is more more of a representation of intolerance and definitely the opposite of the example of inclusion than it is of parliamentary procedure. 20 to 30 years ago, I remember reading an article in academic literature that says uh, the punishment should fit the crime. And the speaker's response to the actions of the three legislators in Tennessee 
was extreme for the violations that that he cited. I can accept that we must have control of, of anybody, any body of people. There must be rules. Uh, first of all, I we know that it has that the expulsion of of legislators in Tennessee is rare. And but they didn't commit a crime. They broke a rule. They bucked protocol. And they bucked protocol for a very serious matter. And they bucked protocol to show support for children's lives. You don't have to agree with their actions or even their position. But but this tyrannical approach is an example of intolerance and tyranny. It bothers me to say that it sets up a dynamic that just makes politics sink into a well of ferocity Eventually, that eventually leads to violence. On the one hand, we have this unrestricted reaction to a minor violation of protocol. And on the other, the same party tries to smear an indictment of, an informer, of a former president as being too harsh. In both cases, nobody that I have heard denies the charges. Instead, we talk about the accountability. And the president hasn't been held accountable yet. This is the first step toward an opportunity for a fair trial. Now, all the evidence suggests that this trial may not come out in his favor, but at least he has a chance. And the punishment is prescribed. In the Tennessee episode, we went straight for the death penalty. Nobody's talking about the death penalty for the for the serious charges of the former president. And we're talking about a legislative body deciding to excommunicate three fellow colleagues that were elected from their regions of representation. They don't live there. They don't choose their representations. And this, and they happen to be three representatives from areas of BIPOC communities, primarily, and, and some of the largest communities in Tennessee. One could easily think this was simply politics, and we're being generous to say it's being done because of protocol. We talk about this in terms of fair play and, quote-unquote, application of the rules, application of the rules of law, and how some people are found guilty and others are ignored or found innocent for committing the same crime because the individuals in Tennessee weren't the first people to speak out at a protest. And the fact that two of them used a megaphone or a bullhorn or whatever, and the other one didn't, and they were the ones who were excommunicated, as you said, it's application of the rules. And it goes back to something that is going on, and, and we've been talking about this for a number of years, but it's using politics as a weapon to make changes when you're in charge. When you're in charge and you're using your political strength to make decisions against, against people who've been elected to the benefit of your political party, I don't think that's anywhere in the Constitution. Uh, of course it isn't, but that's what I'm saying. 
we have abandoned our sense of fair play. Right. And that is what bothers me. Right. All right. I, I will also say that I find it disturbing that the two people that were eventually excommunicated were black males. Uh, yeah. And and the one person that was saved was a white female. Once again, color comes in to play. Once again, gender and color comes into play. A black male with a bullhorn it apparently is much more frightening than a white woman at a podium when all three of them broke protocol. Now, so what you're telling me now is, is the fatal offense is having a bullhorn in your hand so people can hear you. Where does it say that a bullhorn is the fatal offense, even in the protocol? I thought the protocol that was broken was they weren't recognized as they spoke, not how they spoke, not what they said or how they made it or how they communicated what they were saying so people could hear them. This is a farce. This is, and they're layering procedure and protocol enforcement as a challenge to the speaker's authority. Well, if the speaker is that insecure, then he should go apply for a job with Putin. Uh, the, The democracy, as I remember it, is not the democracy in which we are currently living in. We have just made decisions that if you don't like somebody because they have a different opinion, we will get rid of them. But part of democracy has been debate and discussion and conversation and an an agreement to disagree without retribution. And right now, on both sides of the aisle, it appears that we are looking to find a way to get even when somebody disagrees with us. Well, this is just an extension of gerrymandering for me. Absolutely. I don't understand how any rule allows three of the largest cities to go unrepresented and to cause them to have special elections that will probably result in just sending the same two people back. I was just smiling to myself and it's like, okay, so now when you're a black male elected official, we have to have the talk with you. And the talk yes, is- it, Exactly. The talk is lay low, don't say anything, don't make yourself known and you'll be just fine. I saw a, a scene during their demonstration of support for the children, two black senior legislators essentially telling them, you shouldn't be doing this. You need to step, you need to step away. This is not how you do it. Right. And there apparently was no consideration for that. The two black males that were excommunicated were relatively young. As far as they were concerned, this was just a nonviolent protest. But how dare they bring those tactics into the legislature? You know, even when during the civil rights movement, even when we had unsanctioned marches in Birmingham and Jackson, Mississippi, aside from when they brought the dogs out, the worst that usually happened was you were arrested for a day or a night. Now, wasn't John Lewis an elected official when he crossed the bridge? Yes, he was. 
but he did not break parliamentary protocol in Congress when he did that. Hmm. So I'm trying to figure out what is so special about that stanchion. So during the arraignment in New York City, there was a Georgia female legislative representative <laughs> outside of the courthouse. She needed- also did not break parliamentary protocol. And she has a she has an individual right to protest. Right. Okay. There's a difference between the right to protest and breaking the rules of an organization. Well, it's also so supposedly again. these individuals were elimin- were excommunicated, not because they protested, but because of where they protested. If they had gone up into the balcony and joined the children and used their bullhorn there. I wonder what would have happened because then they would not have broken protocol. They got pulled over for speeding and got pulled into jail because they were black males. Well, that's the way it appears. Yeah. Especially when there's a third party. They could not extend their retribution to the white female because they felt that there might be more serious political results if they did that. Apparently she only was saved by one vote too. So she came pretty close to. Oh, she came pretty close, but somebody decided, you know what, let's just, just let her pass. That same person had no problem with the the two. So if it was just one vote, I don't care. The fact that any of them were in danger of expulsion is a farce. Absolutely. It's, it's an overextension of the rules. It's an overextension. No, it's not an overextension of the rules. It's an overreaction. Right. It's an overextension of the application of the rules. And and we see this all the time because in any regulatory body, you've got written rules and regulations. It's the application and how those are applied that ultimately determine the outcome. And I am just as disturbed by the, in my opinion, extreme optimism of the election of a Democratic judge in Wisconsin because of the anticipated decisions she might make in the future. Because in both instances, it reflects the polarization of this nation and the lack of rational discussion and judgment on issues of importance. And we're seeing this happen more and more. It's been happening in Georgia in their efforts to put people in seats that will prevent the election from being stolen or or adoption of powers by the legislator legislators to determine whether or not an election is in, in any county has been run properly what about the fact that the house the US house committee is investigating the DA who is in charge of the indictment well I know. Of course, they can't. They don't have that authority because right. it is a state DA. And and this is coming from people who advocate for state rights. They advocate for state rights when they need the state rights. Well, they advocate for state rights un- until, until they become federal agents. And then the power gets to them. I, I just, the news just doesn't stop. I mean, we've seen Clarence Thomas brought to the fore for his indiscretions this week. Oh, I hadn't heard that. What's, oh, what's... I mean, the, he was 
receiving very large expensive trips from a somebody who was uh, on his side of the ledger when it came down to it. And apparently those trips were not supposed to be political in nature, but these were very high-end vacations that he was getting paid for. You're kidding. No. That's nothing new. What's new is, is that, or what's newly known, is that we have a Supreme Court justice that is, the, that, that is being influenced, which means that the Supreme Court is being politicized. Right. If we found a way to do it, that, you know, if, if that's what's happening, I I would be surprised if some industrious reporter doesn't find out that it's been going on all along. We just didn't know it with other. Well, that's, with, what, that, that's what they're saying. This has been going on for a while. I don't mean with just Clarence Thomas. Oh, I mean, with yeah. others. And again, I'm just hearing this. So I'm not prepared to make any comment other than that. That's disheartening, uh, to say the least. Here's what I don't understand. I don't understand how people can call skepticism on our elections nationwide, whether it be county, city, state, or federal, and then run for office. I don't understand why I would subdue myself to a, to to an unjust system as opposed to an unjust application of the system, and then not accept the outcomes. Because I have inserted doubt. I have created doubt on my own with no data. And then to say, if I don't win, it's because it's corrupt. And then and then if I win, I'm, I, I am duly elected. I don't understand why they don't understand the duplicity of this approach. And those same people will go up for election again. You cannot accept the system on one hand and reject it at the same time. Well, that's what's going on. I mean, it's going on with the representative uh, from New York who lied about his uh, his resume and all of the different things. And that's okay because he's a representative from our party. That's all, and, and he was elected. Yes. But if somebody takes a bullhorn up to the podium and is not recognized and didn't lie while they were there, didn't lie to get their position, they deserve excommunication. Essentially, we're using the rules the way we want to use them to get what we want. And that's why I started this conversation by saying we have abandoned the rules of fair play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I fully concur that when it comes to sports, it's taken very seriously when the rules of fair play are violated, whether it is the use of steroids, whether it's the use the uh, catcher signals from center field and reporting them back to a, a batter from that standpoint, whether it's using sticky stuff on your hands. In sports, we seem to take the rules of fair play seriously. In politics, well, we don't. I actually hate that you use that analogy. Oops. And, 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 and although it was appropriate, and for those who that it may have resonated with, God bless you. But we got it backwards. Fair play apply, applies to life, not right. sports, not business, not politics. It applies to life. It applies to people. And it should cover all activities. It should be the tenement of how we approach each other. And I know you were just making an example. I, I get that. I just want to raise the level of consequence 
when we allow party loyalty to overcome our principles of democracy, when party loyalty becomes the preeminent standard for Americanism, when party supersedes country, the country is lost. It, it reflects on our value system or our lack of value, loss of values in our system. Or a change of, of preeminence of our value system. But you're right. We compromise values all the time. There are we have competing rights all the time. The right to carry a gun and the right to shoot the gun are always in competition. I was using the sports as an example of fair play at, at its highest level, not to say that, that we shouldn't be using fair play in the way we treat people, the way we treat animals, the way we treat every engagement that we have. And we've, again, it's just another example of some of the loss of the pillars that have this country was built upon over the last number of years. I mean, we have lost a lot of this. I don't like the language that we've lost the values. I prefer the language that we ignore the values. I think that the moment we are victims of dishonest procedures, we understand what fair play is immediately. It's only when we become empowered and we can get away with it that we shun those values. It is an absolute example of how absolute power corrupts absolutely. So let's let's continue this fair play concept. So if we go back to 2015-16, when one of the Supreme Court justices died and the Senate refused to seat a new Supreme Court justice during the end of Obama's term because there was an election coming up. Was that fair play? No, it wasn't. It was also unprecedented. Right. It, but it wasn't the beginning of abhorrent tactics either. No, I'm just using it as an example because it's one that's, that's fairly, because there's an outcome that came from it as well. So subsequently, it may have been Ruth Bader Ginsburg who died towards the end of Trump's camp uh, term. And if I remember right, the Senate fast-tracked a Supreme Court justice even in the face of an upcoming election. Yes, they did. Not fair play. I don't know if that wasn't fair play or not. In that particular case, they followed procedure. It, right. We may not have liked it. Again, I think we're you're, you're falling into an abyss when we start pulling out every little uh, procedural maneuver that pissed off one party over the other you know but that in, just two, happened. in 2016 it wasn't fair play but 2020 it was okay yes because they had the votes in 2016 they suddenly changed a tradition again we're talking about protocol here yes that's all we're talking about so that's i i don't i don't want to I, I just don't want to diminish fair play by confusing it with protocol. Okay. But that's what's happening. No, no, they're using they're using protocol to camouflage what we're doing with fair play. Protocol is written ahead of time. 
All right. Nobody is going to argue that there's a rule in the Tennessee legislature that says you must be recognized before you speak. There's nothing that's unfair about that rule. What's unfair is how they're utilizing it. Right. Right. And in 2016, there was an expectation that when a nomination was made by the president, it would be considered. Right. And for the first time in history of the Senate, they chose not to act because they didn't want to be on record of voting against a person that was qualified. And in order to not put their party members in that position, they were able to stall. That's not fair play. But but it was also within the rules of the protocol, even though it had never been done before because of the importance of having an appropriate number on on the Supreme Court. But they chose not to put somebody who was ideologically not in their in alignment with their positions, and and they went against tradition. Now, it wasn't fair play because up until that point, we had all agreed this is how we're going to proceed. But that's a less, for me, although it had a lot more serious consequences nationally, the procedure itself was as abominable as this one in Tennessee. Well, they're both politically motivated. Uh, Of course they are. Most of them are. As you know, was 2020. The slave rules were politically motivated and economically motivated. Uh, well, I realize I was going with all of this quote unquote fair play discussion and as was as as they stacked the Supreme Court, they've now led to a reversal of Roe v. Wade. Okay. See, I think we're mixing things now. Okay. All right. Every decision I don't agree with doesn't mean that fair play wasn't followed unless you go backwards in time and find out that there was some unfair play at some point in time yes you can go backwards in time but you but but i'm sure that both parties or both positions can find evidence of what they consider unfair play Uh, people could go back as far as when roe v wade was first determined and start picking apart how some of the judges who voted for it got there you know, I don't think this discussion bears any fruit if we're going to try to pick apart, pick every little detail, uh, every little act. I think what we have to look at is the mood of the country and whether or not certain actions meet our standard of fair play. And fair and and right now what I what I seem to be noticing is the scorch earth approach to victory is our standard for fair play. That's a great place to um, take a break on this conversation and, and thank Nationwide for supporting us and to thank our listeners for being engaged with these types of conversations, these courageous conversations about issues that are impacting everything that we do. And, and part of what Phil and I are trying to get across is that you know fair play is is worth having a courageous conversation about. I want to thank our listeners for bearing with us, regardless of your position, one way or the other. I would like to leave just one last question. What are you going to teach your children?
thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.